Now turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 4. We're going to read verses 32, and then we're going to go into chapter 5, all the way to verse 11. And that's on page 912 of your pew Bibles. I do invite you to stand out of respect for the reading of God's word. Acts chapter 4, verses 32 through 5, verse 11, as we continue our series through the book of Acts as as the risen Lord Jesus builds his church. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and a great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. But a man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. Well, after an interval of about three hours, his wife came in and not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Immediately, she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead. And they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who had heard of these things. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Amen. You may be seated. Well, friends, there's something I've noticed in this life, and it's it's simply this, that we fully expect that people are trying to rip us off. Fakes and phonies all around us. I mean, you feel it, don't you, when, when you, you see an advertisement on a TV commercial um, or, or on social media you, or, or something pops up on your phone that says, free iPad, right? You say, really, really? Or some new advertisement comes on the TV uh, uh, trying to, to say, this will change your life. And you say, yeah, right. Okay, well, um, I I recently, this was just underscored for me, uh, when I was shopping for a van for my family, and the car dealership that I contacted, they had a wonderful listing for for an excellent price for this van online. 
um, well, well below uh, what I expected to see. And um, on that price, uh, you, Auto Trader told me, it's a great deal, great deal. I said, well, well let me, I'm going to call him up. So I called him up, and, and my first reaction was to say, is this really the right price? I mean, is there anything hidden? And the person says, well, you mean you know, taxes? What else? I said, well, you know, so, so I'm looking at, at the real price. And said, well, sure. Well, well, after about six hours of, of this you know, bringing me along, finally, um, the bill of sale that was put before me, which I didn't end up signing, had an extra $10,000 added to that great price. And I said, isn't this just how it goes? We fully expect that people are trying to rip us off and usually we're right. Is there any safe place that we can go from the world of deception? Is there anywhere we can go to get away from the fakes and and, and the phonies around us? Um, And friends, I think we know that place is the church. At least it ought to be. There's this sense even today amongst those who aren't believers that the church ought to be a place where we don't hear about scandals. The church ought to be this safe space from the fakeness around us where we would encounter something different. We expect the church to be something different. God demands that the church be something different. The real deal. Well, that's what we see with this first scandal in the church. Um, The early church has enjoyed a season up to this point where all the attacks of Satan are coming from outside. But here with Ananias and Sapphira, we see a situation um, in which the attacks start coming from inside the church. And the thing that's attacked is the genuineness of the Christian community, the genuineness of the church, scandal, fakeness, hypocrisy rocks the church to its core in its earliest days. Well, let's, let's dive in and, and see what, what God is teaching us here as he demands that the church be different than the fakeness we see around us. And I want us to first, here's, here's how we're going to follow this passage. Here's how we're going to unfold this message. First of all, we're going to see a picture of beautiful sincerity in the church. But then we're going to see deception start to loom over the church. And then finally, we're going to, to assess how we should respond to all of this. Sincerity, deception, response. Look at the picture of sincerity in the church right here in verse 32. Um, it is, it, it's something of great wonder, something that makes us smile. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said Uh, that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. With great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Great grace was upon all them. Now, this is no small feat, friends, because the church at this point has grown to many thousands of people. We are well beyond uh, the initial uh, 10 or 120 that you saw early on in church life, but now thousands of people over... Over 3,000 believers. And and this is the way that they're living. No masks, no falsehood, just a community shaped by pure joy in a risen Savior. Now, what brings them together? It's this conviction that Jesus has been raised. 
And, and as they receive this good news, as it breaks forth in their life, they, they look to one another, uh, smiling and, and excited to embrace the Savior and to learn about him with one another. That's the chief joy that, that just presses them and molds them into a community. Out of all the other things that, that could bring them together, this is it. Confidence in a resurrected Savior as preached by the apostles. And note what happens. This joy, this community, spills into generosity. It can't help itself. It just it burst into genuine acts of real care and concern. And there's no pressure or manipulation here. You know, there's no um, pastor up front holding the church hostage until they put enough money in the offering plate. You know, there's no special deals for miracles for those who, who give an extra hundred dollars. No, there's nothing like that. This is just people are, are so impressed with the, their beautiful Savior that they want to love the people that their Savior loves. They want to care for the people that their Savior cares for. And they really do it without being forced to do it. This is not communism. I think that's really important to say because this very text has received a lot of talk about whether we have a socialism or communism incipient in this text. No, this is voluntary giving. There's nothing about the state taking charge of this. This is, and that's why it's so wonderful. Believers see the need and no one tells them they have to. But they say, you know, this is mine, but you can have it. You can have it. So people start selling property and land and possessions. Um, and they start giving to those who are in need. Why would people be in need? Why? Because persecution is starting to rock the church. And not only that, but in Roman society, a good 90% of the population lives in poverty. The middle class is, is only 10% and the upper class is a mere 4%. And so you have this huge amount of, of, of population in which people are needy from the get-go. The church starts providing for them because they're believers and they have everything in common. No need among them. You know, those words there in our passage, they actually echo Deuteronomy chapter 15, in which it says, there shall be no poor among you. There shall be none who are robbed of the joy of being part of the covenant community of God. And that's exactly what we see here. This beautiful task. that Here in the new covenant, as in the old, even more fully, the church cares for its own by its generous giving. And so there's a sincerity here. There's a genuineness. And Barnabas stands out as the outstanding example. You know, his name um, is Son of Encouragement. At least that's the nickname that the apostles give him. Why? Because every time we see Barnabas, and we're going to see a lot of him from here on out in the book of Acts, he just keeps showing up as this example of sincere generosity. You're just amazed at what he keeps doing. He uses his time, his talents, his treasures to pour into other believers. And he does it without being pressured. And usually it's these key moments that Barnabas shows up and, and he says, I see a need. I don't need the accolades, but here you go. 
here he is selling a large plot of land uh, and laying it at the apostles' feet. And right here, he's this, this example of genuine, sincere giving. No masks, just care for the church. Now, I've met people in this congregation who are a Barnabas, and I love that. I love that this example is not a hollow one. Do you see that? What we're seeing here is not a picture to make us nostalgic about the early church. Oh, I wish we could get back there, but I guess the church will never be like that. No, this is a real example of of what we we can exemplify today. And I've seen snapshots of it in, in my experience of our community. Barnabas is put before you because by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, You can do the kind of things that he's doing. And it's a great source of joy. Because when you are so amazed at the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, um, when when the risen Savior is your all in all, your hands start to let go of your bank accounts and your your retirement, and you you start to, uh, to be generous. what we're called to emulate today, to go all in like Barnabas with our sincerity, not fake, but genuine generosity. Well, as soon as we see that picture, the storm clouds start to roll in, don't they? In chapter five, we hear the words that no one had need at all, but Ananias and Sapphira And as soon as we we hear their names mentioned, uh, many of us have heard of them, haven't we? We know their story. And we know that this isn't a good thing. (laughs) This is not um, an exemplary couple. What do they do? They see what Barnabas did. Ananias and Sapphira are probably impressed with, with the kind of acts of generosity that they're seeing. Wow, that guy sold his land. He gave up everything. Wow, you know, that, that woman, she is, she's giving sacrificially and, 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 and she seems to really want to do it. And so Ananias and Sapphira say, well, we, we have land. Why don't we sell it? And so they sell their own field and they lay the, the, the price at the apostles' feet. Only one thing. Behind the scenes, they've talked with one another and they've agreed that they're going to keep part of the proceeds for themselves. We know, we just heard how this story ends. Both of these professing believers are struck dead. Sudden death before the feet of the apostles. Wait a minute. What was their sin? What did they do that was so, that, that was so wrong? And we have to see right away that the root of this sin is deception, deception. You know, we could point to different things, greed, you know, um, people pleasing. We we could point to different sins, but I think the root that's obvious here, the one that Peter puts a spotlight on is deception. First of all, this was a lie to the church. When they brought their proceeds from the field and laid it before the feet of the apostles, everyone who saw it, The impression, and they knew this would be the impression, was, wow, look, they're giving giving all the proceeds to us. That that was what they wanted the impression to be. They're laying it all at the apostles' feet. 
And they did nothing to dissuade that opinion. Here we go, just like Barnabas. Selling, selling all of our land, and, and, or at least a portion of our land, and giving it to the church. But behind the scenes, they are keeping for themselves. And, and it's not that they had to give all of it. It's that they're making it look like that's what they're doing when they're not. And so they start to infuse this church with this lie, this, this falsehood. That they're, they're doing something that they're not. That there's a genuous and generosity to their actions when there's no such thing. What are they after? Reputation? I don't know. But what I know is they deceived the church. But they could not deceive God. Because the lie that they fed to the church, Peter actually explains, was worse than that. It was actually a lie to God. Did you notice that? What does he say? In in chapter 5, verse 3, Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? And then later he says, you have not lied to man, but to God. By the way, a clear, perhaps the clearest statement that the Holy Spirit is God. Our conviction of the Trinity. But right here we see that Ananias... This, this deceit that's hatched in his heart really is a lie to God. He thought that he could pull this off somehow without God caring. He thought that somehow he could go about this and God wouldn't notice what he had done. But God knows the heart. He cares about the genuineness of, of, our, of our generosity to the church. He cares about the reality of our service. And so the last thing that flashes through Ananias' mind before he breathes his last is that God sees our hearts. He said, God, God sees me. God saw behind my mask. God, God's not pleased with this. He drops to the ground. And then in comes Sapphira. Same thing happens to her. Peter asked her, How, was, was it for this price that you sold the land? Was this what you brought before the church? And she said, yeah, yeah. You, you, you followed, you, you conspired with this. You've tested the Lord. She drops dead as well. Is God being harsh here? Should we be embarrassed for People who aren't Christians to read this passage? Should we kind of tuck it away and say, oh, just ignore that one? Is God being harsh here? No. I do not believe that God is being harsh here. Because what God is in fact doing is he's preserving the holiness of his people. Our God is a consuming fire who, who not only is full of love and mercy and compassion for his people, but that, that loving compassion demonstrates in itself in, in a desire to get rid of the things that poison the people who are purchased and purified by Christ. And the God of the New Testament is not different than the God of the Old Testament. He's the same God. Did you notice that? That we see in the Old Testament this, this, this key example of Achan 
And God's anger burns against the community. Why? Because Achan has taken some of the things that God said he shall never take. Canaanite gods, possessions. And he's tucked them away and he's buried them for himself. Well, God takes that very seriously. He says, as my people enter the Holy Land, as they become more and more of the church I call them to be, I'm not going to tolerate falsehood. I'm not going to let that spread throughout my church like a virus. And that's exactly what's happening here. Imagine that God, imagine what would happen if God did nothing while Ananias and Sapphira had their fun with their simple little lie and got their accolades from it. What would happen? Well, a fake and phony brand of the Christian faith would be spread throughout the ancient world. You'd have guys like Barnabas, but you'd also have poison of deceit from Ananias and Sapphira starting to make its way throughout the ancient world. And, and this, as sin always works, it never just stay puts. It always multiplies. It always spreads. And so throughout the church would spread this idea that you can, you can hold back from God. You can hold back from the church and it'll be all right. Nothing will really happen. God wants his church full of genuine participants, not great pretenders. He wants his church full of people who are honest about their sins, honest about their failures, honest about their generosity. And so God right here, early on in the life of the church, confronts in this shocking way this sin that he says, this can't, this is not okay. This can't be tolerated. How should we respond? How do we respond to this? Well, we respond like the early church responded with fear and and trembling. Don't we see that here in verse 10? Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in and found her dead and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband and great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who had heard of these things. See, I think one of the reasons why kind of fear comes into our hearts when we read this passage is because this, we too like to play the part. We have more in common with Ananias and Sapphira than we'd like to admit. We have our ways of putting on masks for the church. We have our ways of putting on masks with one another, don't we? I think that's why this count makes us uncomfortable. We, we, we see too much of ourselves in these great pretenders. We say, wow, you know, maybe I haven't done this exact thing, but I've done things like it. Why, why aren't I struck dead? So slightly ironic, isn't it, that we have a um, church funeral direct renting our uh, space uh, in, in our church. You say, why aren't, why aren't I struck dead when I put on my masks? And we have to see it is the gracious kindness of our Lord and his patience that does not cause us to breathe our last when we put on our mask, when we lie to the church, when we try, try our tactics of deceit. 
But instead, God gives us this example to teach us that by the power of the Spirit, we can change and we can be different. And by the power of Christ's resurrection, this deceit, this kind of deceit need not spread throughout his church. What do we do? Well, first of all, friends, we take sin seriously. We take sin seriously. You know, something I've learned about sin is that it's like a mushroom. I've used this image before. As long as it is allowed to thrive in the darkness, it swells and and, and grows big and, and plump. But as soon as you expose it to the light, as soon as you... You know, uh, cut down uh, the trees and expose that field of mushrooms to the, to the burning sun. What happens? The mushroom withers and dies. And sin is like that in our life, friends. We, we can cause it spreads as long as we hide it from the light. But when we're honest and we come before one another and we say to our friends and we say to our pastors, look, I need to tell you something. I haven't been completely honest. I I need to tell you something. There's something, I gave the impression that I was fine. I gave the impression that, that everything's all right with my family, but it's far from that. We don't have to tell everyone that we know these things, but I think the church is designed, friends, so that we are sharing the truth with one another and that we are finding companions that we can share our heart to, even if we don't know them that well. We know that they're a Christian, professing to be a Christian. You can always come bearing your heart to me, to Pastor Brad, to Mr. Jones, to Mr. Wagner, and and, and we'll hear you and we love you And we want to talk about repentance and turning from sin and not hiding it. Because if sin is hidden, it can corrupt the whole community. God is teaching us in this lesson that he he takes sin seriously. And so we hear in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. You see? You see what the Apostle Paul is telling us to do? To put away falsehood, to speak the truth with our neighbor, to take down the masks. As we do that, the Lord Jesus gives us the power to live different lives. Lives of generosity in which we give of our time, our talents, and our treasures. Not under compulsion, but because by the power of his resurrection, we aren't grasping for reputation or attention or or, or, or money. But we want to give. You know, I have a question. Simply this, do you want to be part of a church like that? Do you want to be part of a church that takes sin seriously, gives generously, but does all this not under under compulsion, but because Jesus looms large in our lives 
and his desire for a pure church is a desire of our hearts and your heart. That's our Savior. He loves his church. So friends, this story is not here to shame you or to scare you, but it is here to, to, to instill in you a reverent respect for God and his purity so that you'd say, yeah, the falsehood goes down. Yeah, the masks come off. Let's do this. All in. Loving. Generous giving. For our Savior. And for his bride. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, there are some things in Scripture that surprise us and shock us, and this is one of them. But help us to trust, Lord, that this is here because we need to hear it. And what happened with Ananias and Sapphira is there because we need to see it. Lord, help help us to be grateful for every moment that we breathe before you, for we are deceivers by nature. Like, our, like Satan, the great liar and the father of liars. But Lord, in Christ, Satan is not our Lord, but, but, but Christ is. And so we need not follow his lies. We need not live according to deception. But Lord, where we see it, help us to turn from it, to repent, and help us to be grateful that you give us breath to live in a new way to take sin seriously, to repent, to turn, and to give generously and sincerely before your face. May your church be that kind of community more and more. And Lord, help us to rest upon your promise that this is not ultimately up to us, but your church is being changed right now by the power of your spirit. You've promised to purge your church. And on the last day, we will see masks down, kind of sincerity and beauty you have purchased your bride to be. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.